Uh, for the purpose of Anna, uh, co-host, joined by Esteban. Hola. And Dennis. And wonderful guest, Dennis. Thank you. And wonderful guest, Dennis. <laughs> Thank you for returning for the second half of 2000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, for anyone who might be finding this episode without fir- finding the first one first, um, we'll be discussing chapters 25 through the end. In the last episode, we discussed the beginning through uh, chapter 25. And for anyone who's totally new, uh, we read old books and then we come together and talk about them through a nerdy light using a modern lens, kind of, you know, just like how these things are applicable to today. Uh, we have a video going also, so we'll be, it'll be up on YouTube eventually. Um, so. Where do we want to start? Also, let's cheer. We're, oh, we're yes. drinking a, a tasty beverage, so we'll cheer. I will take no, uh disrespect in the fact that I'm the of the uh, Green Lantern glasses I'm the villain <laughs> you're not a villain I know I, I understand I, I, that's why I will take no disrespect from it but okay. he is a wonderful villain I, he is quite a good villain yes <clears throat> like our Nemo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is Nemo a villain? I think he falls in the same kind of thanos line of villainy in that his actions are deemed uh negatively by general people mm-hmm. is when they don't understand the motive. Ah. What is his motive? Well. As you see it, of course. I mean, if we're going to jump into that, mm-hmm. technically, that's the very end of the book. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should cover something a little bit earlier. Okay. If you hear snoring, that's our small dog. So they visited, I feel like, a lot more places in the second half of the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Toby's snores. <laughs> I'm curious as to which one fascinated you guys the most. Uh, it's been a little bit for me. I should have probably read a little more toward I hate you, today. you're fired. You show up no, reading no, no, too I... much in the first. You can't remember it now. No, I'm just like, you know, once you kick you know, kickstart me, I'm yeah. good. So they visited Atlantis. They yes, visited. Okay, they they got attacked by devil's fish, which I don't know why they didn't just call it like an octopus. Well, I think they were going by the name that they were using back then. Because mm. I looked yes. up Devilfish, and not a single de- octopus come up when I googled it. Right, um, but I can imagine what did come up. Um, eels, the ah. uh, devil rays. Oh, okay. Um, I can imagine back in those days, you know, you're you're used to seeing regular things, and then all of a sudden, this thing with eight arms, mm-hmm. a bird's beak, mm-hmm. is suddenly pulling at you, trying to eat you. You're like, no, that's not how any of this works. Yeah. None of this works that way. But uh, again. Which place was your favorite, or or most entertaining? I really liked Atlantis. I really did. I liked Atlantis. <clears throat> Just the way they described it, I could really see see like everything like in my mind. They actually they went there about. twice. So they stopped and they walked through, mm-hmm. and then they floated. They like swam past it. Not swam. The, they, like, the wall. Yeah, no. they went past it again. Uh, yeah, the way that he described Atlantis is. That's my dog. Um, <laughs> it was absolutely beautiful. Like I'm, I would have also loved to have seen the way the light glistened through the particular mountain or like ice formations at the South Pole. Is that where they when were? they're trapped? Oh <clears throat> when my they God. were trapped. Yeah. Um, I also like the Atlantis one, and I think what made that one really great is that he brings them there. Mm-hmm. Then they start walking, and he's like, "Oh, this was man-made, but where, where are we?" And he's seeing columns, and he's seeing things that are homes, and mm-hmm. he's trying to figure out the entire time where he is, because mm-hmm. Nemo, being Nemo, is like, "Yeah, hey, let's go for a walk," mm-hmm. but doesn't tell him where they are. 
on purpose. Then he just scribbles it with uh, the the rock with the rock on yeah. the thing, and it's like I can imagine being that guy, just like walking, and then suddenly he's like, "I'm in Atlantis. The, it's actually yeah. real. The stories are like that alone is like yeah. that would have made the trip worth it." The the whole aspect of like these forests that have grown under underwater, and uh, at one point he's saying like if there there's no way these forests would have been able to work above the sea level because of gravity, mm-hmm. but the fact that they're there you have like trees supporting trees that are supporting the first in return and like all the just oh man it would be so cool to see in person. A lot now more. I guess returning to whether Nemo is a villain and his motives. Uh, Nemo turned out to be a lot more complex in the way than I thought he would be. For instance, when he first let them go hunting for the dugan, I was like, oh, okay, he's letting this guy have his natural instincts. He's like, you know, okay. But then they're in one of the poles. and no, no, they were on their way, and they passed the baleen whales. They passed the baleen whales. Mm -hmm. And they got really close, and of course Ned's like, oh, I want to kill one. Let me go kill one. I gotta kill it and get... He's all Being getting revved up. Ned, yeah. And in his mind, eventually, when he does get to speak to Nemo, he's like, well, this guy let me hunt before. Why wouldn't he let me again? And then Nemo's like, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's like, these things are peaceful. And they just kind of move through the water. They don't do anything. They don't harm anybody. They don't hunt anybody. And this, of course, sends Ned through a tirade in his yeah. mind. But then, the sperm whale. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many people know about sperm whales, but in their description, these things are horrifying. Mm-hmm. They're a giant floating mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in case you don't know, another one of those classic books, Moby Dick, yeah. that's a sperm whale. Oh, oh really? Okay. Yes. I didn't know that. The, the big forehead, the giant mouth, mm-hmm. these, these things cause fear. I have to admit, if I'm in the water and I see a giant mouth coming at me, yes, I'm scared. Yeah. yeah. So he immediately... He does this whole completely, what is it, 180, 360, whatever, mm-hmm. where he's like, these things must be destroyed. Yeah. We'll protect the baleen mm. whales. And I found that weird. Because as, I, I guess as a scientist, at least the way I would look at it, he's, he's interfering with nature. Yeah, yeah. it's just, yeah. It, there's, there's, a, there's a way everything should go. Mm. And when he's describing to, or, or arguing with Ned about, he let him hunt the dugon because they were going to use it. He then proceeds to slaughter, yeah. using the Nautilus, mm-hmm. a bunch of um, sperm whales. Yeah. Well, in my mind, I was like, well, that's kind of the opposite of what you just said like 10 seconds well, ago. Well, I think, I think the difference is that, I don't know if you guys did this, but when I got to that point and I was listening to him talk about the baleen whales and not slaughtering them and stuff like that, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, the initiative from Star Trek. Like the one oh, thing. The is like, directive? Yeah, you don't interfere with things. And so when uh, when Nemo turns around, he's like, those things over there are the opposite. We're going to protect these whales by slaughtering those hideous creatures. And then proceeds to do so. Uh, we were all, I at least I was like, oh shit. Like, wow, that that's a thing. Um, Nemo's cousin and, was a baleen whale. And then, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then the scene where, like, after the carnage, mm-hmm. the way that they're describing, like, the the professors looking out and the shit, like, the, the Nautilus is in, a, like, 
in its own kind of river of blood with these fish pieces and chunks just kind of floating around and then that one baleen whale with the little baby floating after i was like i was like fuck i'm not gonna cry i'm not gonna cry i'm not gonna cry this is so depressing well for me it was one of the things where it's it's one of the times where i felt like nemo wasn't the nemo that i thought of mm. where everywhere else he he toes is very specific line yeah very principled very principled and if he's 10 seconds telling we're only going to hunt these guys if we need to there was no need to hunt those um, sperm whales Mm -hmm. they didn't take anything from if anything they eventually milked the dying Mm -hmm. baleen whale which was in its own description like okay I I didn't need that described but okay But milking for me, other than anything other than a cow, disgusting. Right. Yeah. I think so, that's a very because I feel the same way. Or, mm-hmm. I've, but but then again, you get things like goat's milk, which is well, a, a goat I is just think a, tasty. I've never had it, but it's considered to be tasty. It's also very good for you. A goat for me is just an an agile cow. A cow, you know what I <laughs> mean? So like this cow can climb. You know that sort of thing. <laughs> so so that was like the first time for me where he kind of left his like morals behind and was more of a extremely emotional person which but he is though he mm. is and they let it they let us on to that very early by the fact that he cried at the burial of his friend in the sea yeah he's a very passionate person and he tries very hard to keep it like mm. when he got uh earlier in the book the first time that he yeah he's my dog is not real loud mm. <laughs> um the, he that he kind of gets impassioned a little bit about um people and 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 uh peoples mm-hmm. he <laughs> he lets it go a little bit and, and and that's the first time that the professor gets to see or kind of gets curious about what this guy's backstory is because he gets riled up mm-hmm. um okay. and then there's the yes, scene his backstory yeah we don't we still don't know shit about him well, all this we, time we, later we know enough to know that he is from the indian area of the world. Yes. Yeah. We, we know that much. The Asian subcontinent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which which explains his casting. Yes. But they also described him as pale. So I wonder if the paleness is from the lack of extreme sun because you're literally underwater at all times. Yes. Because typically when mm. you describe like a someone from that region, they, they tend to be a little bit on the darker side. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. No, that makes me wonder like... If you would take someone who's naturally of like medium to dark complexion and you put them in a ship for who knows how long, uh, which based on the end of the book, I'm not sure they were actually at sea that long, mm-hmm. maybe maybe a year or two prior. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if, it, if that would cause the skin to lighten over time naturally or if the skin would maintain that level of melanin forever. I think it would maintain a color, mm-hmm. but I think... When he describes his pale, he probably meant like, for instance, if I don't get any sun, I'll still have color, but I'll be paleish. Yes. And I'm I'm assuming that's what that's what we were looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where well, you're pale, but you're not Irish. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Shh, don't insult. Irish. I'm not. I'm not insulting. I'm just saying nobody nobody would mistake him for Irish. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> uh, on the account of, so we know a little bit more about him, because mm. we don't know where he got the money before to you know make you know the ship Mm -hmm. but we know where he's maintaining his Mm -hmm. money Mm -hmm. which in my mind i was like oh that's brilliant Mm -hmm. he's he's literally going to places where they were shipwrecked and collecting the gold Mm -hmm. which in my mind is kind of like oh he's he's 
he's uh, he's like a repo man. Yep. It's like, yeah, you you guys stole all this gold from you know these other people, and then your ship your ship sunk, and now I'm gonna take it back, and it showed us that he was also giving this gold to mm-hmm. people who were fighting revolutions against their countries. Which again, when you think about it, you're like, oh man, that makes all the sense in the world. He hates most of the surface world. The surface world, and if he can give some poor people some money to fight these people, he's gonna do it. Yeah, and he was. And I was like, all right, that's yeah. not too bad. Because in, in the in, in Nemo, the original social, social justice warrior. Yeah, yeah. In, mm-hmm. the, in the philosophy of like only take what you need. Mm-hmm. Technically, if he didn't, if he wasn't passing this money on to people who needed it, there would be no need for him to take it on in the first place. Because right. ul- like ultimately, money is tied to land and yeah. to that and if he really wanted to truly cut himself off yeah, he, wouldn't he would have it no need right because mm-hmm. he gets all of his resources from the sea from the clothing to the food and everything mm-hmm. so money is kind of like this weird gray area where he's like he treasures that giant pearl and that oyster mm-hmm. you know hidden away and in some cave that no one's gonna find it and he's got these like areas of the world that he treasures and he covets uh, but that's a very human what? Mm-hmm. what? The dog. Oh, We're laughing the, at the yeah, dog. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. The, the moment I stop petting him, he stop. He starts snoring. Can't you think, well, if we move him somewhere, he'll just No, he'll just back. come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, folks. You're going to have to listen to some weird snoring noises in the back for the whole episode. I'm trying to think of another moment that I was like... Oh, what did man. you think about the, epi- the part where they were crushed between the icebergs? <clears throat> I, that always, says, you know, like... Like, just the idea of that, the idea that you can, you know, like, uh, move through the ocean, but at some point, ice would, you know, stop you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that. it's just a weird thing, it's a weird thought that ice is stopping something as powerful as a Nautilus. Well, for me, it wasn't even, like, the thought of the ice. Because, mm-hmm. you know, ice is ice. Mm-hmm. For me, it's when they're describing the amount of time they have left to breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not a swimmer yeah drowning is a real fear in my head well it's more than drowning right right it's suffocation it's suffocation yeah so all of these things is like wait they're running out of air and they're underwater there's there's no real escape here Mm -hmm. and they're just hammering away it's have you ever almost drowned no it's terrifying i i i try to stay out of uh, the element that i cannot control Mm -hmm. so that part is it's like, whoa. Also mixed in with the, where initially the, the description of the ice. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like diamonds everywhere. And mm-hmm. the, sh- the light reflecting. And then in my mind, I was like, oh man, that's both wonderful. And then I was like, I wonder if, as I'm reading it in, in my head, thinking about it, I was like, I wonder if anything can go wrong. And then the ship starts moving, so the light is reflecting, so it blinds them at the same time. Well, like, I just thought it was interesting. Like, oh, Jose, ah! was like, immediately, Jose was like, no, cover your eyes. Uh-huh. And then he's like, but why? It's that idiot thing where it's like, if someone's warning you against something that that would never do anything f- without reason, if someone, like, for me at least, I would hope that in a moment like that, if, like, if you were like, cover your eyes, I wouldn't even question. Mm-hmm. I would just cover my eyes, and they'd be like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. With my eyes covered, and be like, the diamonds are blinding us, or mm-hmm. whatever. But just that he would, like, then so, go So in this look. scenario, you're in a diamond heist? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, just that in that moment, to <laughs> just, just be like, I want to see what's going on. Oh, no, I'm blinded, too. Look away. S- don't look away. Speaking of consejo, mm-hmm. so when they're running out of oxygen. Oh, my God. Oh. He... 
he tells this man, I wish I did not have to breathe so you can have one. Like, man. Yeah, that's a bit much. I man. think, I honestly think that Consejo might have, Conseil, Consejo, because at some points in the book I did hear him and it sounded like he said Conseil. Uh, like I said, I defer to you as far as language. Well, I, don't know. I defer to the author and to the narrator, and mm-hmm. he went back and forth. But well, just in the sense was... that you guys have a better understanding of, you know, language because you speak more than them. We That's do. Some, yeah. I don't know. Well, at least have I, you, I, I, I have. Have you read his text messages? <laughs> <laughs> I keep things simple <laughs> and to the point. The moment where Conseil runs over and grabs the eel and gets shocked, mm-hmm. and he's laying there, and then the first words he utters. When he has, when he can speak, is the classification, subclass, phylum, and all this thing of the fish that just nearly killed his life. To, I don't know, I just feel like I wonder if he had some sort of like idiosavant or like some sort of, some very minor level of like. Yeah, he was on the spectrum somewhere? Yeah, somewhere. Is that a nice, is that a PC thing to say? On yeah, the on spectrum? the spectrum it's, a, it's a, like a medical thing. Okay, uh, I'm just making sure because you know, you never know who's going to listen. I don't want to offend anybody. Well, no, being on the spectrum, there's nothing wrong with it or telling somebody. No, I know there's yeah, not, yeah. but you know, I don't want to be like. Well, words. as long as you don't use the R word, I think we're okay. Okay. Uh, if we offend you, yeah. it is not our means. Uh, we're just here we're really being humans. We, yeah. We're not trying. This, this yeah. is, nobody's, this is just, nobody's trying to hurt anybody. Um, just trying to talk about old books. Old and, books, and, that's right. Yeah, And, and, and fictional people. Yeah, but no, just that scene where he's like, oh, like, have, he could have he could have died. Like, mm-hmm. he could have wound up seriously paralyzed. And the first thing he says, after they bring him back to life, is, oh, genus XYZ, mm-hmm. class yeah. this. And I'm like... Really, man? You'd be like, not even a thank you? Like, they come, that thank yous come second to the, to the classification of this eel? Well, come on. Well, you have to remember, he's that guy who, the reason he grabbed this thing is because he can't identify them by looking at it. Mm-hmm. But once it electrocuted him, it's like, oh, I know I'm what you exactly are. What that is, yeah. Yeah. Now, had someone blurted out its name before he went to mm-hmm. grab it, he probably would have stopped like, ooh, mm-hmm. that's a bad idea because it's genus. He's like, so, oh, those are having unnatural electricity. I wonder electricity. what yeah. made him run out to go grab that fish. Well, the way it's described is because uh, this guy was saying, like, oh, it's, I think the doctor was in process of describing or naming these things, like, that one's super rare. Mm-hmm. So he was he was literally grabbing it for the doctor. He's like, oh, something's super rare. The doctor probably just said, that electric eel, uh, electric ray over there is super rare. So he probably like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. The <laughs> Kill you. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that part first, sir. So I don't like murderous <laughs> phylum electricity. Because <laughs> I think one of the one of the things we get to see from both Consejo and the doctor, they're both very. What's the word I want to use? They're super nerds. Yes. Rather than you know, the thought process first of like, hey, let's take this from a human point of view. They're, t- they're doing science first. Mm-hmm. And then they get the human point of view. First is the doctor doesn't kind of get exactly what's happening. I, I feel like he-, he doesn't get it until the scene with the boat. Yeah. Oh, at the very end? Right. Yeah. That- that's when he finally gets like, oh, I see what Ned's talking about. Oops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. It's that book smart, street smarts kind of thing. Right. That was, so when we, so at one point. Uh, when Ned pushes the professor to the to pushes him hard and he's like, go talk to go talk to Captain Nemo, find out what he means to do with us, find out if he'll let us leave at any point. 
and and then uh, the professor goes and engages in that conversation. Mm-hmm. The way that he communicated, I thought, was actually not the best because uh, he he subtly kind of almost threatened Nemo by saying like, "I would stay with you, but who knows what Ned would do? He is not of a studious nature. He's suffocated by this life in the ocean. There is nothing for him here." Who knows what you know? What boredom will lead him to do? You don't threaten Nemo. That's the one thing you don't do. Mm-hmm. Well, Nemo's response is perfect. He's like, I don't know what he wants to do. Exactly. He's like, I've I've never actually imprisoned you. Yeah. I've just said you can't leave, and circumstances have made sure you can't leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've never said I would try and stop you if you did. Yeah. But there, it just, there are no like iron bars. There's a wall of water between him and the surface. Right. But I I, I feel. He might have had a little more luck appealing to the different aspects of Nemo uh, rather than like in that like low-key threatening way where it's just like now you've just engaged this persona that's like nothing can damage me or my ship in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, like what can he do to my ship and what can he do to me? My men will protect me, whatever. If he had started the conversation with like understand that, you know, you know, dear Nemo, like, understand I'm not coming from a place of this and that, but I care for my companion. I care for his mental health and his well-being. There is nothing for him on this ship. He is he is losing weight. He is growing dark. He might kill himself. We don't know. Would you allow us to at least let him go if I stay? Or just something like that. Because I think ultimately the pre- professor, you know, because this was before the whole situation with the with that battleship, the professor was still kind of enamored by the luck that he had to be able to be a professor and a naturalist of the ocean stuck on a ship that can go anywhere in the ocean, see Atlantis, visit, be the first human being or the second human being to set foot on the South Pole at that time, right. do all of these things. He probably would have stayed. And maybe in, in if that conversation had gone a different way, maybe the captain would have come down a little bit and said... I, I feel for you, I feel for your companions, you know, uh, like, throw out that olive branch, like, I see how you care for your men, if one of your men, etc., etc., like, he came with me, this is a happenstance, you know, it's not fair to him that he should, you know, he's been here, how much longer does it take, How what does it have to do to to leave your ship, can he, like, indenture service himself out where he just, like, kills a certain amount of fish for you, and then you allow him to take a skiff and leave, as opposed to, like, my man is uh he's he's getting bored. He gonna he gonna kill you soon. You know that's not the proper approach. Now here's the thing. Let's say he taken that approach, and Nemo says yes. Do you honestly believe Ned would leave, and leave the other two behind? Yes. I don't think so. Yes. I I think because the the little things he's shown us, I I think he would not have left them behind. Because think- yes, because he feels imprisoned, but in his mind they are also imprisoned. And he's shown us throughout, like, the story, how loyal he can be. For mm-hmm. instance, when they're all suffocating, right. it's him and Consejo mm-hmm. that are giving the doctor the air. Neither right. one of them are taking it. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes down to we have to save the ship when the devil fish are attacking, he, as angry as he is, he goes to the captain, hey, I see you guys are doing this. I've got my harpoon. I will help if you need it. Mm-hmm. And Nemo's like, hey, yeah, go. Go kill everything you can. And he does. Like, I think because of his, like, much like Nemo, in a sense, his kind of, like... Principled nature. Principled nature, I don't think he would leave them behind. 
Here's the reason why I question that. Two things. One is maybe Ned detected or saw something. It, like maybe it was like a, an instinctual feeling or maybe he was just so generally, genuinely opposed to being uh, kept in a ship like this that uh, as opposed to like Ned, as opposed to the professor who was super about it, maybe he saw something and he's like, we're not safe here. We need to go. Uh, but the fact that he went to the professor on more than one occasion to get his absolute word that the professor would join him if he made an attempt shows me that he wasn't sure. And if the professor had come back and said, Ned, I spoke to the to Nemo, he's not willing to part with me or Conseil, but I, I pleaded to your health and he agreed to let you go if I stay. Ned might have been like, okay, I'll send you a postcard. I don't think so. And uh, one of the attempts is the reason why I think he wouldn't go. Uh, remember, they had an opportunity earlier, but Nemo happens to be in the lounge, mm-hmm. and he strikes up that conversation with. Uh, it's when they're actually about to dive to see the 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 recovery of the gold. Yeah. At that point in time, Ned's already at the at the skiff. Right. Ned could have left. Right. But he wouldn't. I'm just saying he. He, he has had opportunities to bail. Do you think he wouldn't? I thought the skiff needed more than one person to man it. No. No, but the thing is, at that time, the circumstances were such that he and Conseil were waiting on the skiff for the for the professor who had agreed he would go. And at that at that moment, when he was getting ready to leave, the, the Nemo came down and was like, yo, let me show you something. And then they, they went off to go look at the gold. That's an entirely different situation than... Yo, my man, I just got you a, a one way out of here. I'm staying, but I'm not unhappy. I'm good. I have books to write and memo- memos to make. I'm going to stay. Uh, but the, the our good Captain Nemo has graciously allowed your departure. They're setting up a skiff for you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's different. I don't think you would go. I don't know. I feel like mm. there were certain times where Nemo, where, where Ned yeah. was just kind of like, I mean, I'm leaving one way or the other. I just really want you to come. Mm-hmm. Like, I got that vibe from him sometimes. In the- well, he, he forced him to promise to come. Right. So as for his um, motivation, I believe that's where we tried to start, but... Yeah. The- Dr. Nemo? Nemo, yeah. yeah Dr. Nemo. Mr. N- uh, Captain Nemo. Captain Nemo. Hey, maybe a doctor. We don't know. Really, maybe he is. So, towards the end of the book, we get this, as the doctor describes it, horrifying scene where, mm-hmm. you know, the ship, and they're clearly hunting... The Nautilus. Mm-hmm. Once Nemo becomes aware of them, he decides to destroy them. Yeah. Um, but not just destroy them, because they were actually visiting the site of a ship called the Avenger. Okay. And he didn't want to sink them near it because he didn't want to disrespect the Avenger. Okay. So he gets the ship as far away as he can, then he proceeds to sink it, and one of the the points where it's like, this guy's really angry. Because he opens up the side thing to watch the ship sink. Like, it's not enough, like, yeah, I've destroyed you, uh, let's leave. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm, I'm going to watch my work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch you die. And then once this is all done, he he starts showing emotion again. Mm-hmm. And on his way, which I find it surprising that they hadn't noticed this one picture mm-hmm. until this moment. <laughs> where it's like, he has all these pictures that he's drawn of, you know, Martin Luther King and all, not Martin Luther King, but all these 
famous people from those times mm. that help free people. And, uh, and then there's yeah, one picture. Gandhi, didn't he? Gandhi. No, also two. There was a figurehead like Gandhi that he had. Right, I'm trying to remember the names, but the one picture that he finally sees once this all went down mm-hmm. was that of a woman and the children. Yeah. And at some point he blurts out, he's like, they took everything from me. Mm-hmm. So we kind of know more or less his motivation. Yes. His family was taken from him. Yes. How, why? Yeah, there's still a that's lot of questions. That's all vague. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were taken from him. So, so we kind of get a small picture into his anger mm-hmm. but again like it's a very very palatable anger yeah he's got a Frank Castle thing going yeah. yeah he I mean he breaks down into sobs not even just tears but sobs multiple times in the book cause he sobs when it, uh, when the uh, when the octopus takes his man away mm-hmm. and then he sobs after he destroys that ship Oh, and the other thing I was thinking, which I actually thought was kind of funny, when they get to the South Pole, and <laughs> Homie whips out a flag and, like, plants it in the snow, it just reminded me of this dude. It's like, well, do you have a flag? And, like, <laughs> the whole... It was, I think they described it as being, like, black with a yellow M on it. Yes. I wonder what it's for. So when they're... When they were the ones hunting Nemo, at no point does he stop to show them the flag. Yes. Uh, at no point does he really show them that they're a ship. The doctor surmises that this ship knows that the Nautilus is, you know, not mm-hmm. a whale. Yeah. Because rather than, you know, trying to hunt them and making the same mistakes they Immediately, made. Immediately. Just... And, you know, throwing harpoons, it went straight to cannons. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, so everyone is now aware that it's not a giant cetacean. Yeah. It's a damn ship. Yeah. Yeah, but the, also the realization that the people who were on the Abraham Lincoln survived. Not that they, not just that they survived, but of course now they know because they were so close. Now they know that it's not a giant well, electric yeah. wheel uh, whale either. Yeah. That yeah. it's in fact uh, a warship. Right. Um, so not only does he come out and hit Ned when Ned's trying to wave a white flag at them, because so so it's one of those like, it's like oh. It's like, okay, and he shakes the Canadian. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, he's like, we're not going to surrender or plead for help from these people. He's like, we're going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And then he takes out his flag. So it's not only a thing of like, I'm going to kill these guys. He let them know, even exactly though they probably had the no hell. idea. Yeah. But he wanted someone in some way to know, mm-hmm. I'm killing you. Look at my flag. But it was more than that because he... He suspected that the ship knew exactly who he was. Mm. It's like, I don't. He's like, oh, I see. You're coming after me. You don't have a flag. I don't need you to have a flag for me to know who you are. And when the professor asks him, like, who are they? He's like, it is. It is mere chance that you were able to see as much as you did when you shouldn't have. It is good luck that you don't know who they are. Get into. The, get downstairs. Get off of the, the yeah, platform. At some point in the book, he becomes very like. Before he was very, you know, cordial and very, you know, like, uh, you know, hospitable. Yeah. Like, even in his capture of them, he was hospitable. Mm-hmm. But at some point in the book, he stops being that and starts yeah. being more uh, aggressive and, and like, uh, protective of things they, you know, his, his information, his identity, kind of. Yeah. Oh. Well, his one, his, his, that, that one aspect of it that he didn't want them to know about, mm-hmm. where the first time they engaged in something, mm-hmm. he put them to sleep. Yes. 
I thought that was a really funny way that they did it, though. Like, they, they, like the guys, you know, we have Ned and the professor and Conseil being forced, but at least they were kind enough to feed us. Yes. And then they all eat this delicious food. It's like, oh, I'm so sleepy. <laughs> so, so, yes, he, he does seem to know who's hunting him. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, maybe one of the things that people theorize that a government knew about this thing, maybe a government does know. Mm-hmm. And they're just being coy because they're like, man. So who do you think it was then? I mean, as someone who lives here in the United States and all of our usual theories, it's always the United States. We See, always oh, okay. know I thought you were going things. Russia. <laughs> I, no, I would, no, we we blame them. Oh yeah. <laughs> See, the thing is, I think the United States is too arrogant to to for it to have, for that to have been us because the fact that the ship didn't make itself known from what country or origin it is is just like this. On, like the only oh, thing de- they know is how, what kind of ship it is based on the cannon placement. So you definitely think we'd be flying red, white, and blue if we were going after. There's no way if we're gonna be the ones to take down the Nautilus, we're not gonna have some form of like we're the ones doing it. Mm. No, no, no. But but that's coming from a place of they, <laughs> that they're okay with everyone knowing about the yeah. Nautilus. I'm coming from a place of they knew about the Nautilus. They want to take it out and then make their own because that's what we do. We'll have our own fleet of Nautiluses, and if anyone messes with us, we'll sink them before they know it. Right, but the fact that they there is no identifying marker on the ship that was going against the Nautilus, that's what tells me, well, at least for me personally, that's why I don't think it was oh, okay. a United may, States vessel. Maybe you're not understanding. If someone else was in that ocean and sees this battle, mm-hmm. then they could say, hey, the Americans are hunting this thing. Let's say the Abraham Lincoln, which an American ship that didn't know what the Nautilus was, Mm -hmm. let's say they never reported back. Mm -hmm. Or even better, they did report back. Who else would want this weapon? The U.S. government. Mm -hmm. But just in case someone sees what we're doing, let's say they made all those people sailors, you can't tell anybody what you just found out because we want it for ourselves. Someone else sees this, I don't want them to know what we're doing. That's why I wouldn't fly our flags. That's... That's the American way of doing it. You imaginative skeptic, you. That's we're we're arrogant in things where everyone else can see us. Like, if that ship was being followed by, like, 30 other ships, then mm-hmm. yes, then you wave it. Mm-hmm. But if you're, 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 you're out there by yourself, you're out there by yourself for a reason. Mm. You're, you're being sneaky. Yeah, a sneaky, sneaky. Do you think it, <laughs> <laughs> it survived the whirlpool? The Nautilus? Yeah. I mean, if the skiff survived, the Nautilus survived. Yeah, I don't know. I, you could, but then the skiff would have been it was dislodged previous to them. Like they would have been on the outskirts of the when it was because they were yeah. flown out yeah. and they're much lighter also. Yeah. Well, the the thing with those whirlpools, from what I understand, they just suck things down. Mm-hmm. And had had it been like, a, yeah, was the Nautilus really in danger? Any other ship, I would have said like, okay, that kind of sucks. But yeah. it's like. Okay, we're going down. I was like, yeah, we do that all the time, guys. Yeah. Now, there is the possibility that, yes, the skiff got thrown out, mm-hmm. which means there was a compartment of the ship mm-hmm. open. Yeah. So, inadvertently, their escape attempt could have destroyed the Nautilus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, well, not even, because remember, earlier in the book, he was saying that, the, the like, un, un, unusual to those times, instead of just having large walls... Where water would get trapped in these part, these particular like now there are actually bulkheads. Um, bulkheads. There are parts, you know, there are sections of the ship that are contained, self-contained, and so you can you can close like if, if one of them is breached, you can close that off from the rest of the ship and keep it buoyant. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So you know, like it's, it's like I still I still don't think with all the engineering of you know Captain Nemo of his experience of his expertise he that he would have yeah. yeah one hole would have taken him down, and a whirlpool I don't think would take down a submersible. You know, like a boat, yeah. Right, but they're designed. But for they that. you know like it's 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 a ship that is meant to be underwater. So right. it's like pulling it underwater is like does that hurt it? Yeah, I I, I would say no. Again, we don't know. I mean, there's a lot to not know, but there's a... <laughs> because true. the way the doctor describes it, mm-hmm. there was fear in it. Yeah. Because the sound they heard was everyone screaming, Maelstrom, Maelstrom, yeah. Maelstrom. So clearly there there was worry with it. Yeah. So, so maybe there was some kind of danger to mm-hmm. it. And I can only assume that if you're worried about it, while you know your ship is unsinkable, if a door is open that you don't know about, that would make it worse. Well, okay... I would say in in a like not necessarily a similar situation, but the 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 only thing I can compare to it like let's say if there was an earthquake on the train, it's like okay, why should I be scared? I mean, you know, like well, I'm in the earth. True. Technically, you know, like yeah, where am but, I gonna fall? <laughs> it's like true, and the metal of the yeah. ship would that metal of a train would keep you safer. You from would feel like that, you know, there's there's so many like obviously, but there's still the shaking of the earth. Right. You're in a you're in a composed space. You're not able to escape. I'm sure there's a reason to be scared, even when you think I might survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think you'll you'll be like it, like everybody's had. You know, sometimes you you've had a gun to your face or whatever. We're all New Yorkers. I'm sure it's happened to all. Of us. <laughs> um, you've had a gun to your face or something, or you know, you've been in a stiff situation. Is like you th- you like there's a part of you that thinks maybe I'll make it out of this. So it's possible I'll probably make it out of this. But you're still it's still you're still in the danger. Right. And there's this that that one possibility that's like okay, well, what if I don't make it out of this? So maybe it's just a fear because fear is natural for us right. as humans. Which... Also, I, I think he had started losing his composure in general, mm-hmm. um, just by the withdrawn manner, um, like even before the whole situation with the octopus attacking the ship and 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 him losing his person. Like since I think it's since the South Pole, right? When they when they escape, that almost perilous situation where they got crushed under the ice and they mm-hmm. were stuck and they almost ran out of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Since that moment, the captain had been showing signs of reclusiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, remember, in that way, like... A lot of time in the... Like I, like I said the last episode, last part of the episode, he disappears. He disappears quite a bit. So but more so now than usual. Okay. And, and to be visibly more sullen or solemn mm-hmm. is not his usual either mm-hmm. so i i was I actually spent some time wondering like why he would i was wondering what might cause this and i could see there being some remorse or frustration in the in the train of thought where he had prepared so wholeheartedly so thoroughly for any possible eventuality that no matter what happened up to this point there was nothing that could He's like, oh, some coral reef we got stuck on? We'll float out of it. Oh, this situation? Don't worry, we're good. Oh, blah, 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 like whatever it is. And now for the first time, seemingly, his ship and his crew are stuck in this really horrible situation where they might all actually die. And the, and the professor would have died if Conseil and Ned didn't sacrifice the last few breaths of air from an air tank to give him life. Mm-hmm. And maybe that struck him as like, holy shit. I, I, there's, there are ways that we could die that aren't just of natural causes. We could, we, you know, we could have died, well, or maybe someone did die and we don't know about it. Well, you have to remember that. I think that also triggered the, 
the literary man in him. Because mm-hmm. remember, when he goes to speak, when the doctor goes to speak to him about leaving, mm-hmm. what's he doing? He's, he's writing. He's writing to leave his writing in a floating device, which is, in my mind, is like, yeah, that's absurd. Which, you know, the doctor kind of is like, yeah, yeah, that's absurd. But he, he wants records of what he's done. Mm-hmm. He wants records of his achievements. Which, again, I'm like, wait, that's so weird. It seems like he wants to, like, go away from everything humanity-wise, but he wants to leave his record. That's, that's I, I, that innate part of you. It's the same, I think, that same part of you that be, wants to have... Want to be a, immortal some way? No, well, yes. It's the same part of you that genetically pushes you to want to have children. It's that, that wants to leave a Your part mark. of you behind, mm-hmm. a legacy of some form. And if his family was taken from him, that legacy's gone now. There's yeah. no way There's no way for him to like send a letter home. True. There's no home to go to. So what else does he have? He, he throws it in a thing, and then with his luck, it'd end up on the island with the savages, mm-hmm. and they'd use it to campfire. Uh, but same thing. It's like, you know, you're they just... They can't read it, so they'll burn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it makes sense. Um, so, so I think that's part of what made him so solemn, where before it seemed like he was kind of like slowly doing it. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he's like, oh, man, I could die at any moment. Let me put this all together now, just in case, so I can leave it floating in the ocean. <laughs> Again, which is like... It's that whole message in a bottle idea. Yeah. I wonder what ocean he would have left it in. Well, he seems very um, particular to the Pacific. Yeah. Because as I think the doctor refers to it, it's the one where he's freest. There's not a lot of water lanes. There's not a lot of like traffic. I mean, nowadays there is, but <laughs> in those days, you know, it's like it's. It, it would take another venturous person to happenstance in the same area to find that. I guess his, it would have been his place to leave it and also his, his thought process of someone truly worthy to find it. Understood. Now imagine a world where he leaves his flag at the South Pole, right? Uh, with the notion of like the only reason and he tells the professor, he's like, if you don't see any hesitation on my on my stepping foot on this ground is because I know for a fact that no one has been here before. Mm-hmm. And then he, like, he steps on and then he goes into this long history lesson on all the different attempts that have been made to reach this location and, and, and their eventual failures at different markers. And he's like, and on this day, which I think is like March 20th or 19th or 20th or whatever, he's like, I have landed here. And he puts his flag. And so eventually at some point down the line, someone else will get there one way or another. And then they're going to find this mysterious black flag with a golden M on it or a yellow M. And then somewhere in the world, there is this jar of this wonderful crazy stories of this guy who's been somewhere imagine those two like those two things coming together like how that cool that would have been like hey i found this thing wasn't there a flag did it have an m look at the look at the the seal on this thing Mm -hmm. it's it's really cool (laughs) maybe the uh note like letter in a bottle is like a what do they call it a black box right yeah that one last piece of you know to tell my stay my story of this amazing ship and, you know, mm-hmm. you know. what can be accomplished yes and of course the Trekkie and me is saying you know he's gone where no one else has been able to go mm-hmm. yeah. that's true yeah. my thought process with that final moment mm-hmm. so they're in the skiff yes everything is shaking yep they're saying Maelstrom yep the doctor immediately knows mm-hmm. oh I know where we are mm-hmm. and they eventually get flung out mm-hmm. I'm curious what I would have done in the same situation 
in a maelstrom? Well, if I'm like getting into this gif and you I hear these, these words, <laughs> did they have enough time? Because, you know, this guy's like, oh, let me bolt the skiff back in. Mm-hmm. How about just get the fuck up, get back into the ship, and lock yourself in your cabin? It was more than just that, though. Now, do they know where they are? They had to seal it. The, the doctor was... Oh, okay. When, once he started hearing Maelstrom, he's like, well, I know what Maelstroms are. He's, mm-hmm. like, he's a professor. Professor, yeah. He's like, oh, I know what Maelstroms are. Mm-hmm. And then he describes where they most likely yeah, well, happen. Yeah, like this one place is known for Maelstroms. Right. So I looked it up on, on Google Maps, mm-hmm. and where they wound up was actually not that far from France. No? No, it's like, if France is here, there's mm-hmm. like, there may be, I don't know, t- t- eight-hour ship ride mm-hmm. but far away, but if there's no ships leaving right. that mm-hmm. port, then... Which he said it takes... The ship only leaves every two months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, is, so I know. could see it taking a long time for a ship to go there because it doesn't seem like a very important place to go. But the actual trip from there to France would, would take less than a day. Mm-hmm. It's They're not that far, which I would feel very frustrated. Like, but it's right there. I just want to go home. Well, it's probably because of the consistent maelstroms. Right? Yeah. It's like... Yeah, we're only gonna send ships on uh, good months. Uh, we want nothing to on do with one, it. On one on one Monday a month under a full moon. Yeah. You know, and the the non the non maelstrom moons. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> um, at that point, the doctor, you know, he had seen the ugly side, uh-huh. and he didn't need anything else. He was like, oh, "We're leaving. Yes, tonight. Cool. Five minutes from now. Let's do this." Mm-hmm. Which was so different from like, "Hey, maybe we should be careful. Let's think about it." You know. Uh, it looks like the wind is blowing at a half a mile per hour, which might rustle mm. my hair, so I don't want to go. You know, like, he was looking for excuses. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, the wind is kind of choppy, the water's moving around, and um, I think I see piranhas. That's fine. Let's go. I'll eat the piranhas as they bite me. Let's. Like, he was, he was just... Like, that one event. Yeah. Seeing him sink a ship, whose flag he didn't know, yeah. just immediately snapped him out of it. Yeah. Well, you you got to kind of I I guess if you when you put it in those terms, you have to see what from that side is like, okay, if you see a flag of a uh a an, of an enemy, enemy, not an enemy because they're in the ocean, <laughs> of of an enemy, they are, you you know, you would you you and you attack it, it's like you're justified. It's an enemy. They had it coming. But if it's a stranger, you're capable of anything and we're going to die soon. Right. You know, for no other reason that you deem it to be possible like I could kill them and I think I would like that killing them so it was like it was one of those things yeah so it's like uh, it's, I think it, I think the, the lack of a flag is why it's time to go it's like okay you're not in danger from any particular person or they entity they were firing huh? they, were, they were firing and, the, and, the, and, and when somebody's were... shooting at you if you shoot back or you know kill you know kill the person shooting at you you're not wrong and I mean going back like when um at the very beginning of the book, after the professor and uh, when Nemo first returns to the professor after that like forty eight hour window or whatever, when they were locked in the in that stateroom with no water or food or anything, and Nemo comes in and is like, "I have decided to let you live." Mm-hmm. And the professor tries to make that claim, and he's like, "Why are you trapping us here?" And the professor is like, "You fired on me." I have every right to do with you as I want. You you started this. Don't I have the right to fight back? Damn it. What? The ship can't be American. Why? Well, he seems to know exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. And the original ship, the Abraham Lincoln, was an American ship. Mm-hmm. And he didn't go out of his way to sink it. No. 
Therefore, whoever these people who are hiding their identity, who he does know who they are, can't be American. Because if not, he would have sunk the Abraham Lincoln. I'm sure there's there are reports of this where we'd be able I'm, to look it up and kind of. I mean, if I think about the, make an educated the history of the it. world at that time and seeing that he is of some form of Indian descent, kind of points a finger right at the British. Yeah, mm. you would think. Yeah. And Squarely. they were the ones that were sending out the pirates. Um, they were was it the British or Spain that was sending out pirates? Well, during the um, that's way before. But oh, yes, never mind. <clears throat> the, goes to show the, you what my history lessons are. The original pirates were were British soldiers. Oh, okay. And they would go out with other people's flags and not. Well, well no, the, the the skull and cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that thing. That's not British. No, no, but it's not What's other it people's the flag. Jack? It's a flag they invented. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason they did it is because uh, the church had decided, because mm-hmm. you know, the church yeah. had decided that um, the new world belonged belonged to the Portuguese and the Spaniards. Why is that? Oh, because they were the ones who got permission to go first. Ah, and from the church. Yeah. Well, everything in those days, you need you basically needed permission from the church. The yes. church decided the line. Yeah. That's why the, the primordian. Right. That's why Brazil mostly speaks Portuguese. Oh, okay. Um, and the other nations basically behind that line mm-hmm. speak Spanish. Yes. The British were like, but we want things. So they started being pirates. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yes. Because the British had broken off in the church way before then. I understood. There's well, a little history lesson brought well, to they, you by they didn't, they didn't want to be known as people who broke off from the church. So, they, you know, they sent these guys under other flags to be, you know, understood. pirates. Yes. So they can't be blamed. True. But yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that way they could say, like, if, if, if the pirates were caught... Be like, well, I had nothing to do with it, and British be like, I don't know, that's not our flag. Plausible deniability makes yep. sense. Yeah, I don't know why they're saying they're British. I don't know why they have that accent. Mm-hmm. They're they're radicals, so they're Australian. They must. Be. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Australians. <laughs> I love the way that is the that that the author describes Nemo when he's upset, because it is a genuinely intimidating thing. The way the professor talks about it, like the first time. When, uh, when the professor sees Nemo in that extreme anger, when he pulls out that little telescope and he yeah. go, he means to like use it to see what the, what Nemo's fixated on on the horizon, mm-hmm. and and Nemo like pulls a thing, and then the second time when they're on the top of the ship, uh, and and uh, Nemo punches Ned with the brass knuckles, and he's just like, "You fool!" Basically, mm-hmm. he's just like, "What do you get out? Get downstairs." It's just like, such intimidating. Such I'm a, remembering that passage. I don't think he had brass knuckles. He said a, a metal fist. A metal fist, but I think he's just describing the weight of the fist. Oh, no. Ah. Got it. Like, like um, when you describe a boxer that has heavy hands, mm-hmm. it's it's usually like cinder blocks. Got it. That just makes makes Nemo sound... Because fr- if you remember, Ned Land is this giant harpoon man right. with muscles. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he knocked him on his ass with one punch. Yeah. And it... And I believe it wasn't to his like face or anything. It was to his chest, mm. which is worse. Which is yeah, right. it knocks your window. And then he proceeded to shake him like, "What are you doing? You, you ever been punched in the chest? I'm just curious. No, 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 like I'm sure a man, a man has been punched in the chest. I, I assume, yeah. Like this one, I'm sure hasn't had a whole lot of fights. Neither have I. But I knew I've been punched in the chest. I've never been punched in the chest before. Yeah. It's not fun. It is not. Uh, it being... will wake you up. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> A little bit insecure if you jiggle a little bit. 
It's like, wait, is, is that an aftershock? <laughs> <laughs> I was lis- I was thinking about the book, and then I heard if you jiggle a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I just like, what are we talking about uh, here? Do we consider Nemo a villain? I'm still on the fence about that. Because I don't feel like he's done anything truly villainous. Right. When I think villain, I think of somebody who has a single point of view and they are they are attacking it in this very aggressive stance. You know, like if uh if there if he was if his his motive was money mm-hmm. and he was attacking ships that were carrying money from one place to another or something, and he was attacking those ships and you know, like and, and sinking them and then, you know, robbing their their Robbing them of their booty, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, pirate language, and, you know, like, that, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> then I would say he's a villain easily, and you know, I would still like him, but he'd be a villain. But it's like this is like I find a little more like in a gray area because I don't. I think he was he was living his life. You live in your life, and then somebody's attacking you because they think you're a threat. Mm-hmm. And it's like I wasn't threatening you. You were threatening me, mm-hmm. and now I'm a villain. And it's pretty much like villainy is it's, it's from the point of view of the person, yeah. from the eye beholder kind of a thing. So that's what I was, because I'm thinking like to your to your analogy, if you suddenly became aware that this person is Robin Hood and they're yeah. actually taking this money from these rich ships, yeah, they're like sinking these ships, taking the money and bringing it back. Does that change your feelings about the the person committing this crime? And the same way we're like. If we had, if we didn't know a little bit about why Nemo was doing the sinking these ships, collecting this money, giving it to people who were in need, fighting a revolution, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and it seemed like he was just doing it out of just pure greed or yeah. or just because he can, yeah. then that would fall more in line with your perception of like villainy. But yeah. what we know about him colors that, yes. and it, it doesn't let us just look at it as one or another, and it's it because. The reason I ask is when the professor is kind of like reminiscing, he seems to have a very like nice sense uh, when he's quoting that uh, that Greek passage, like, now there are only two men who can claim blah, 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 mm-hmm. Captain Nemo and myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, it's like, okay, so, so clearly he, he still has that fondness. But then when they sunk the ship and he's like, he has made me, you know, an accomplice to this crime. Mm-hmm. And he sees it as a crime. Right. Even though technically the ship did attack first, mm-hmm. yeah, it was firing at them. In most cases, I would be like, "Yeah, I mean, they did fire first. Yeah. <laughs> but I remind me, does does the ship like uh, do, do they hurt the Nautilus? Do they they damage the no, Nautilus? No, the, the shells so, basically kind of bounce off. off but yeah. so in that in that sense, if you're not being damaged, even if you're being fired fired upon, you cannot run. Yeah, you can outrun it. You can you you can go low. You know, go deep and you know, like hide from it. Mm-hmm. You know, you could escape the uh, the the shooting. Mm-hmm. So to attack, especially with the kind of force he, he applied, right? Are you? But then, at what at, point is it too much force? The point. So to go to naysay, because that's like my professional job is like a naysayer, right? So like, as Nemo, who enjoys having free access to the oceans. Mm-hmm. Let's say he were to outrun this ship. Now there's a ship that has seen him, has seen him in this like area where he was. Mm-hmm. Now anytime he passes this, he runs the risk of running into that ship again. True. As opposed to sinking that ship, all the people on that ship die. And even if wherever that ship came from, even if they're aware of the fact that there is a Nautilus and there is a Nemo, 
they won't know where it was last seen. True. They won't know anything about it. So it and kind of brings it back to square one where it's like now like we're still kind of generally searching and we haven't heard from our men and they were last reported over there. But then Nemo dragged them way the fuck out into the middle of the ocean. So we really don't know where they were. There's also, I bring, I bring you back to the, new, the Abraham Lincoln. Similar situation. Those men have seen him. Uh, they have a position of where they last saw him. They know it's not a whale. Um, you know what I mean it's like why this particular ship with no flag are we going after Um, and I'm just from the perspective of the doctor like what is the doctor thinking about this it's just it's just like really intense mm-hmm. reading the the whole part about like so even though watching we're left the ship with, getting sunk and yeah. then the people right. getting sunk down so even though it. we're left with all these questions still yeah there you know like there is this other scene that's now that is like well who is this person we're talking about uh-huh. so not only do you not only have well we know Nemo the naturalist Nemo the you know the reader Nemo the the scholar the engineer the mm-hmm. engineer and the, but there's also Nemo the uh, you know the pirate yeah you know like. And the murderer. The, yeah. I, I think, like, when I read through it, again, I get all those points. The He could have ran away. Yeah, he yeah, could have yeah. done all these things. I think the point where I would have started leaning with the doctor, like, oh, there's some issues here. Mm-hmm. He watched it sink. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a difference between, like, someone points a gun at me, I pull my gun, I shoot them, mm-hmm. they shoot, and I happen to survive. Now, if I sit down, I'm like, well, look at you now. You dying. Mm-hmm. There's a certain kind of like, oh, oh wait, there's a problem here. There's a darkness. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, so that I can get him kind of being scared at mm-hmm. that point. That's what he was, that wasn't even, that right, wasn't he was even already, it. he was he already, he was already like losing his shit just at the thought of this guy <clears throat> attacking, attacking. So it's like, hmm, but he attacked the Abe Lincoln. Did he? Yeah. He left it, he left a hole in the mast or, or the, um, some part of the ship. Yeah. Well, he bumped it, which is why it couldn't come back for them, because he hit their propeller to make sure they couldn't turn and follow it. Mm-hmm. Again, he could have done that again. Mm. But this one, but, he chose to sink. I mean, you know, you know what's up when he when he is like looking at the ship and he's like, "These people took everything I love from me." Mm-hmm. That that level of like hatred and anger, and and it's so interesting that he would keep those co- cards so close to hand. Like, he's. He's showed the professor everything that he loves and cherishes. They've had all these discussions throughout this mm-hmm. 10 or so months that the professor's been locked on this ship where they have this this commonalities and all this stuff. Why would and 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 Nemo and Nemo is of is of the belief that this guy's going to spend the rest of his life on this ship with him. Like mm-hmm. he is tell the professor goes and he's like what do you mean to do with us? He's like don't come and ask me this again. You're on my ship. That's it. That for me speaks to some kind of desire for uh, some level of companionship. Like you find someone who happens to be on your ship, you bring him inside, you realize it's a naturalist who's interested in the same things you are, can enjoy and cherish the same things you are. You now all of a sudden have a companion. Mm-hmm. You're definitely not going to let that person go. Why wouldn't you share the full story if anything it would just add to that level of stockholmness where you're just like look at how i've suffered look at all the things these people have done to me do you understand now why i've chosen to leave the land people because you know look at how horrible they can be i think it's the the idea where not only i guess yes a companion but kind of like a colleague Mm -hmm. and it was nice it was nice having someone who would ask questions about the science of it 
ask questions about the oceans. Ask, you know, that was nice for him. And he told him right when he came, he's like, you can see everything in the ship. You can see how it works. You can know all of the Nautilus's secrets. He specifically said the Nautilus's secrets. Right. He didn't want him to know about him. Why? Because that dark part of him, that he, every time, like, I, uh, someone has to tell that story, they're reliving that story. He probably doesn't like this dark part of himself. He likes the part of himself that likes the fishes, that likes the engineering, that likes all that stuff. He probably doesn't like the part of himself that has to sit down and think, oh no, they took my daughter. And we don't know what happened to his exactly. kids. We don't know what happened to his wife. So in having the professor there, he had an outlet that was just about his positive side, mm. which in my mind, it's probably something he can't share with his crew. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, like Dennis points out, this guy disappears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can imagine him being in a dark hole with the crew and they're all reminiscing about why they hate all the people in uh, New York or why mm-hmm. they hate all the people in here. And that's the dark section. And that's why he needs to disappear. They do their venting. Then he comes into the thing, plays some some of that piano that's all sad and melancholy, mm-hmm. and then him and the doctor talk about the yellow fish floating in front of the screen. Yeah, it's funny. I was because um, as someone who's listened to slash read nearly all of Sherlock Holmes, one of the things that Sherlock does when he's deep in a problem is he plays the violin, mm-hmm. and the way Watson always explains him playing the violin when he's stricken with like a, a, a really strong case is also kind of melancholy and just kind of plucks at the strings irritably and. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the only reason why Watson even puts up with it is because once Sherlock is done going through this in his own way, Watson gets to make requests and Sherlock plays expert level like like ah. violin stuff. And so to hear something kind of similar with with um, with Nemo where he's got this organ on the ship and he plays it so melancholy. I wonder if he gets his like cups in him and he's just like drinking mm-hmm. and playing miserable music. It's just like, I loved you so much. Mm-hmm. And then the whole ship's like... Please just see tears coming down the walls of the Nautilus. It's just like, we loved her too. (laughs) Another interesting aspect is, so they had their own language on the ship. Mm -hmm. And there was no way of telling what any other people were, except in that one moment. Actually. So the devilfish grabs the guy, and in French, he's screaming for help. help. (laughs) And that's the moment when the doctor kind of like, it's like, it's a Frenchman. One of my own. Oh, he's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's already dying. <laughs> like, oh, and I have to imagine like, like, cause you could see him, him talking about it, like he was so proud. He's like, yeah, a French guy. And then the realization, like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, let's uh, try and help him. And the fact that they managed to cut off seven, seven of the tentacles on this creature, but the one holding the guy they couldn't get to and then it just it's like it splurts out the the uh, ink and it's gone it's like well i'm definitely getting away with this guy sorry guys it's like That's, damn well um, you know he's a frenchman he's very buttery i have i have some thoughts on that i hate you so much <laughs> i have some thoughts on that some reply but i want to take and a it's quick European break butter, so it's salty it's fucking delicious and flaky. <laughs> um um, we're going to take a quick break. I need to change the batteries on my thing. I want to get some water. And, and then we'll come back and then I'll answer you on this thing. Uh, we'll be right back. We are back. 
Uh, Toby is cleaning his paw, so hopefully that means he won't be snoring anymore. This is true. Uh, so, you're, you were just talking about... Uh, oh, yes, you were talking about the professor and his reaction to the, the crewman that gets trapped in the arm of the octopus before it gets ripped out. And, uh, devilfish. The devilfish, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, setting the stage here a little bit, the Normandy has just escaped, just maybe like less than a day ago, it escaped the iceberg thing, and now it's it's swimmingly, everything is going swimmingly. Nautilus? Yeah, Nautilus. You said Normandy. Did I? Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Uh, So the Nautilus escaped the iceberg situation narrowly, and it's going, and then all of a sudden it's attacked by... It sounded like there was more than one octopus. There was. But then sometimes it sounded like one octopus with a lot of legs. So it's just a situation where the octopus attaches, and it gets... Like, they open a hatch, and the octopus gets inside and grabs one of the guys, and they're fighting... Uh, Has anyone and, ever touched you that you didn't want to be touched by? Sure. You know, like, yeah. it doesn't feel like they they have more hands than they should? Yes. Exactly. It's, I'm sure it's a similar situation. Ugh. Where it's uh, like, how many arms do you have and why are they touching me? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, the one thing I was thinking is, the crewman must have known that the professor was French. Even though it wasn't common in the book for there to be crewmen around... While the professor and and the captain are talking, it it is plausible, if not likely, that the crew would have known that the people on board, the hostage slash unwanted like happenstance visitors or whatever we're gonna call them, were French. And if you think about the way that the professor felt at that last moment before the guy gets ripped out of the ship, realizing that there was. Uh, another countryman on board and that almost that sense of regret like I wish I'd known sooner that there was someone a countryman on board I wonder if the crew ever felt like that like I wonder if that guy had ever been like damn I really wish I could go talk to this guy and like have a mm. have a beer and like talk to the one guy on board maybe or who knows like at the very least you know the professor's been in France and been around people more recently than he has because who knows how long he's been on the Normandy who knows if all of these people fuck why do I keep saying Normandy I don't know where that came from you want to go to France I don't know oh my dad has a picture of a Normandy and so I've I've, okay so I don't know anyway the Nautilus Nautilus Uh well I think also it's a a situation that Nemo's kind of created where because they have this one language they probably he probably created or probably promoted um, amongst the crewmen to make sure that they literally all spoke the same language, if if not just figuratively, That's, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's probably true. a thing where he wasn't. It wasn't necessarily about the people who might come on the ship. It was just to let you know, like you're part of us because we all speak the same language. Mm. You know? Yeah, That's true. Just kind of creating a like a closed circuit mentality, maybe. Now, just to frame this devilfish attack. Mm-hmm. That's really good. So. They're sitting there, they're discussing, like, mythical creatures and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's, I think, Ned that brings up the devilfish. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, there's stories of, like, giant ones that can sink entire ships. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's like the professor, he's like, oh, don't be silly. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to, like, tell him all these things. And it's kind of funny because, you know, here's the guy who started the book talking about, like, there's a giant narwhal 
And then he's like, oh, look, and it also can electrocute. Like, he's so stuck to this idea that yeah. no matter what he sees, he's like, it's still a whale. Mm-hmm. And, like, the harpoon bosses off. Man, that's some tough metal-sounding skin on mm-hmm. this wh-. But the, suddenly the harpooner is talking about stories, and he's like, no, 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 no. And then suddenly this thing appears in front of them. But he- and it's Conseil who sees the first one. He's like, oh, that must be its cousin. And they all kind of turn like, what? And there it is, this squid. And... It's, if I remember correctly, he said like seven or eight meters long. So it's decently long. Mm. And as they're going, How long is that because I'm an American? Ooh, I don't actually know. So every one meter Mm -hmm. is three and three quarters of an inch. So (laughs) Is that a meter or a millimeter? Meter. Okay. So a seven meter feet fish, Uh or uh, at this point squid, Uh would be 22 feet long. Yeah, I, um, yeah. I could understand fully yeah. seeing that and freaking out. Mm-hmm. So back to what I was saying. So they see this first one. They see this first one, and then a second one, then a third one, and then they just start showing Suction up. Cupping up mm-hmm. to the... And another thing he points out, which I feel like that's the point where I would start freaking out. The ship is going at a decent speed, mm-hmm. but these things are keeping up, mm-hmm. and now they're suction cupping, and then it just stops. The ship just stops. And Nemo has to be the one to explain. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, one of them got stuck in the propeller. He's like, and the only way to get it off is to chop it to little bits. And all his men are going out with axes. And in my mind, I'm like, and now that I know the exact height, a 22-meter, which is a 22-foot squid, mm-hmm. and all I get is an axe? I would have been like, ooh, Cap, um... We, we need to discuss this. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> Luckily, you know, the harpooner guy comes along. And, of course, that's another one of those great moments. Because yeah. he gets knocked down and Nemo comes to his rescue. Mm-hmm. And Nemo's like, yeah, you know, just helping a brother out. You know, you help no, me No, 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 it was the other way. They grabbed... Oh, no, yeah, you're right. It was... Nemo got knocked out. No. No, Ned gets knocked... Ned, Ned gets, gets knocked, knocked down, And Nemo saves him. And Nemo him. saves him. And then at the last... Nemo, gra- uh, Ned grabs the harpoon and harpoons the, the squid in his three hearts. Right, triple heart. I forgot triple the heart. damn things have triple hearts. And it's like a tit for tat. That's, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I would not want to run into one of those. But they also mentioned that, that there was another one mm-hmm. that Ned harpoons in the eyeball. And it's like it explodes and I'm like, eh, eh, <laughs> eh. Eyeball guts everywhere. Eh. Yes. Wow. It's another scene where they're 22 talking. feet of calamari. I hate you so much. <laughs> there's another scene where they... Where, there's, a, there's a few... So chewy. Scenes <laughs> in the book. I hate you both. Um, where they end up in... Like in this surrounded area of body parts. There's a couple of scenes like that. I'm just like... They did yeah. say it was like smell yeah. nasty. Like after they... they Under clean. the water, the fish don't stink. No, no. She means like once they were above... For instance... During his sperm whale uh, mm-hmm. extravaganza, mm-hmm. you know, you get there, it's like mm, salt water and sperm whale, or salt water and squid. Yeah, it was also interesting when they, when the sh- when the Nautilus is trapped under the ice on all sides, and they decide that they're gonna make a hole for the ship to go through, uh, and they're like going down and picking, and then it gets to the point where the oxygen on the boat is worse than the oxygen in the tanks and they're talking about like when they take off their masks 
and it just smells of carbon dioxide and it smells so bad but always the captain was the first one to like take off his thing and hand it to the next person and lead by example well that was one of the things that made me laugh a little because they're like when you think about the work they're doing you're chipping at ice underwater that sounds exhausting yes but everyone because they wanted the air Mm -hmm. were all like "Ooh, it's my turn let me go to work in my head i was like somewhere some guy in a sweatshop is like oh so i must take away their air and i could make them work harder (laughs) and it's like (laughs) i mean think about that that's that you're looking forward to monotonous work so you can get air. When I read when I read that part, the only thing I was thinking about is like, why don't they use electrolysis? If you use electrolysis, um, it splits water molecules into water and hydrogen, so you can make your own air. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering why, like the the, the, profe- he dis- the professor. He, he discussed and- it. They were missing something. Oh, okay. Well, they needed something to that they would have to to remove to that the right. He, he was the- he was saying that there, there there was a particular chemical uh-huh. that they needed to make it happen. Oh. Okay. I can't remember what it was, which... Because the thing is, it wasn't necessarily that they were... Yes, it was that they were out of air, but the the bigger danger was how much dioxide was in the air. If mm-hmm. they'd been able to, like, remove all of that carbon dioxide from the air, it would have been... It wouldn't have been so bad. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the idea of them slowly cutting and eventually having to heat the Nautilus. So now you're in this, in this tub... That you're purposely heating yeah. with bad air. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh God, everything about this just keeps mm-hmm. getting worse and worse. And then when they're free, I love the description of when they're free. Well, not, not free of to get air, but free of the ice. He was like, the captain booked it. Like there was no, we're going to slowly speed up. It was just like zero to whatever the top speed is. Mm-hmm. And when they realized they weren't going to make it as far as they needed to... to he just pointed the damn thing up, yep. and it's like, well, it's the through. ship or not. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, man, it's got to be intense. Of course, the doctor at that point was probably unconscious. Would you notch that under, like, well, that's an experience no one else will be able to say they've had. I was trapped, almost died, and survived, blah, 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 blah. It's the, re- it's the um, Industrial Revolution. I'm sure somebody else has almost died of carbon dioxide. <laughs> carbon dioxide. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Because <laughs> you know how people go out of their way, you know, jumping out of planes mm-hmm. to get that Hi. Do you think some people on that ship were like, yeah, man, we got that close? Well, they said it was like the the first few gulps of air they took after that almost felt like as if they were drinking and they got drunk. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that they were the only ones on the platform, because the Nautilus has like a platform that they would frequently hang out on whenever the Nautilus was above water, mm-hmm. like at the surface like a, like of the a water? deck or something like that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. So they were spending a lot of time up there and it was just like they finally, like the whole crew suffered this. It wasn't just him. Like he, he I don't know what the constitution is of, of the rest of the crew. If any of them came almost to, to like, were, were like in death throes being saved by the last gasps of air inside these air tanks or not. But the fact that they were the only ones who like ran up to the, to the landing to like get fresh air and the rest of the crew were just like, Oh, look, the oxygen's back. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. It's just interesting. They're hmm. so disciplined. How did they... What happened, man? What caused this people... Well, Do you I, think everybody on the ship had a similar experience to Nemo? I have to imagine yes. And because of when it takes place, like you can literally just open up a history book and find a horrific story being perpetrated by some government 
and you don't you, you don't even have to look hard. It's like, all right, let's see, there ain't it. Well, the French were doing this to their poor people. The British were doing this to their poor people. The American were doing this to their colored people. Like, it's mm. like, you don't even have to, like, actually try to look. You just have to open the book, and there it is. Stary, it's... Usually on the cover. Usually, right. <laughs> it's, it's almost like the status quo of being a government in this, in this, in our world. Any highlights for you, Dennis? The highlight was the Atlantis. I just, the, oh. the imagery of the Atlantis and being under the ocean and, and just have, there's things down there you could see. Yeah. Because I watch a lot of like nature stuff and very much in the coral reefs and stuff like that. And, you know, aquariums, I have two aquariums and you know, just, just was like, what is it like to be in there with yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I personally love storms. I love storms. I love when the weather shows itself when when mother nature's just like you want to rain i'll give you torrential rain like mm-hmm. i love that shit uh and so the the part where the nautilus is in the middle of what sounds like a tropical storm mm-hmm. in an area where hurricanes are born yeah. and just hearing how intense that storm was and the fact that the nautilus wasn't waving back and forth or anything it was just like just holding true just going wherever it was going amid this crazy wind and the lightning you know in the water uh and then that's the part where the nautilus i think like something happens and it goes up and then the lightning hits that that spike that it has Mm -hmm. that whole thing was like incredible for me i loved i loved that part it was so good i love storms see highlights are difficult for me because yes i also love the atlantis thing but i loved it more when he's trying to figure out what it is. Because when you get to it, like Atlantis, it's like, oh, cool. Because mm-hmm. then once you hear the name, I get all the imagery of everything else. Mm-hmm. But just the idea of like, oh, there's this wall here. There's just this there. So my mind is like, oh, because they could have been anywhere. There's been plenty of places that have been destroyed or washed away or mm-hmm. any number of things. So so just the the, the idea of like, Exploring and trying to figure this out because to the professor, he's just trying to figure this out. He's like, Ooh, this is a mystery. Mm. And then he gets that answer, and he's like, Whoa, all the stories are true. Mm. Um, that one was great. Uh, during the horribleness of being trapped under the ice, when they first actually open the window to mm. see what the ice looks like with the light gleaming off of it, because we only get to see you know from the top view. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty cool. I would never want to be trapped in ice. It sounds like a pretty picture, but... And then, finally, I think it's an odd one, but I really like the scene with the diver, when the guy's diving for the pearls. And it's because, not so much that it's like something spectacular, but it's such a simple scene of human nature. This guy, this, this poor man who needs these pearls to survive... And we all know he's not going to get the value that they're sold for them. But he, you know, he's just doing such a simple technique. He gets a rock, uses the rock to sink himself, and he grabs as many oceans as he can, and he swims back up. And he repeats this. And it's just it's just one of those things where you're like, like wow, a human being is doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, they're watching this in these suits with all this technology. And it's like... This one simple guy, this no one suit, simple, just a rock on a rope. Just just to survive. And it's like, that's that's pretty intense. And, you know, when, unfortunately for the man, catastrophe strikes him... By a shark. By a shark. 
Nemo actually goes out of his way to save this man. And then he hands him, well, because I think the guy's still unconscious, but he leaves pearls and stuff for the man. So, you know, again, we've seen both very different ends of Nemo, where it's kind of like he he both respects this man, because, you know, he was kind of just like watching. He understands what the guy's going through. But when push came to shove, he's like, damn, he almost died. Let me save him. But here. You're, not you're, just save. I'm not just saving your life. I'm also helping your life tremendously. Because right. it wasn't just a day's worth of work that he saved for him. He went back and gave him gold, too, I think. Right. So it's just like, here, fam, have, have some on me, you know? And and the thing is, um, the fact that Nemo had this on him, mm-hmm. I wonder if he, he, he knew... He upon... He knew that they might come across a diver. And he went out there with intent of, like, I'm going to help a fellow man. And then again, the situation where... Uh, another example of Ned being really cool because Nemo is Nemo's caught in a perilous situation and Ned saves him yes well Nemo jumps in because the shark is slashing at the diver and you know the guy is he's just just barely getting away but the shark hits him with the tail that's right which for a human being underwater if a shark hits you with the tail pretty sure you're going to have any number of broken bones and all that stuff this point Nemo gets involved and he's taking on a shark with just a knife yeah that's the sh- right that's the shark right. eventually knocks him down and then Ned in all his skills as an amazing harpooner he knows the shark weaknesses he knows what a shark heart is and it takes him I think it's just one strike mm-hmm. but he takes out the shark yeah I love Ned Hips helps Nemo get back up and then they'll both go save the uh yeah I don't want to go to Canada now <laughs> Canada is amazing. Canada's I'm sure it wonderful. Is. But if it's full of Ned, no thanks. <laughs> Ned's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. We we have not met harpooners while we've been up there. Well, we haven't been to, been to Quebec, which is where Ned is from. True, but we've we have had an interesting experience in the water. Was it the first time we went, where we did the aqua thing? Yes. Oh yeah. So that was super cool. It's cool. Completely off topic with the book, but. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, because when they're talking about the Gulf Stream, it's very similar. That's true. So, Montreal, like New York, is kind of like stuck between a couple of rivers. Okay. One of the rivers moves at an extreme pace. Uh Ah. Extreme. So, we did one of their tours where it's one of those, like, duck boat things where it drives around the city and then right into the river. So, at one point, it's on the the Calm River, Mm -hmm. and it's approaching the other river, where if you look... You can see the difference. You can see the water moving. And the captain slash driver cuts the engine. And he explains to us, he's like, yeah, there's kind of no point. He's like, so we're just going to float into it. The water will hit our boat and completely turn us around so we can head back in the other direction. It's like, what? And that's what it did. It just kind of floated. Boom. Turned us right around. Then it kicked the engine back on. No, (laughs) but you can actually see... The water rushing by. It looks like it's... I don't know how... Like there's a separation. Yeah. It looks like there's something there. They say there's there. a point in the Indian Ocean where you can see the difference between that and the Atlantic. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, there's a whole long piece in the book where he's, talking, where he's telling Conseil about the Gulf Stream and how it passes through the bottom of Africa and then it comes up and it like splits into two and this whole thing. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yes. That was one of those, again, one of those few sciencey areas yeah. of the book where the professor's getting into granular detail yeah. about something that is just like, yeah, it seems, normally I don't yeah. care about, but. 
that well, particular time, the way he's talking about the Gulf Stream and everything, it's very Well, that's funny. Um, he brings up the Gulf Stream, and they're taking temperature readings every few, like, miles and stuff. And he, he describes that. He's like, if the temperature ever moved in any direction, it would be horrifying for the European continent. And, of course, I sat there thinking, I was like, why does that sound familiar? Because it's happening. Because it's coming up. Well, no. Because it was featured in a movie. 28 Days Later? No. Uh, the, the Day After Tomorrow. Day After Tomorrow. That's, yeah, it was one of those things. Yeah. 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later is a, a zombie movie. It's yeah. a good where, zombie movie, yeah. but... Where that's what made all the scientists yeah. on the planet freak out. They're like, oh, wait, the Gulf Stream temperature has just dropped. Yeah. 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 And I was like, huh, I wonder if they got it from this book. Mm-hmm. Or if it's just actual real science. Maybe well, I think it is, it, that probably science. is because they, they seem very precise with the, the the science in this book, the science and math. Yeah, the the grave the graveyard scene the uh, when they are burying mm-hmm. in the coral. that that, mm-hmm. that stuff was, that was like whoa, whoa, like burying someone in the silt of the ocean. It's just it that was just so striking to me. Yeah, well, it was also striking when the professors he's kind of empathizing with mm-hmm. Nemo. Uh, after the the squid removes that guy and he's like this person won't get to be buried with his other companions in the Mm -hmm. coral reef he's like gone into the and then after that for like what they said like 10 days or something Mm -hmm. the the nautilus just kind of swims in circles around the general area where the guy see where he might be maybe see if he turned up and like if he just surfaced do squids or octopus or devilfish do they leave anything <laughs> well, <laughs> no idea. I you know, like I wonder, Your like you know, is like, what? I've I've only had I've experience no with teeny tiny ones. Because the only like uh, of I what used... of what I've experienced from nature or learned from nature is that they don't leave a lot. Right. You know what I mean, they kind of take well, every like they they take things whole. Yeah. You know, or you know break them off pieces and you know mm-hmm. take them in whole and then um you know, don't leave much. You know, like there might be a bone here or two. Well, I, I wouldn't even think there's that much because. For instance, with sharks, you mm-hmm. have teeth. Yeah. So it's made for tearing and all yeah. that stuff. But these things have beaks. Yeah. Which means they just chomp. Yeah. And the whole thing just goes in. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, so, so I don't think there would be much Because I'm, I'm trying to think of... And the beaks made me think of, like, owls. Which I know, like, when they eat rodents, they kind of... Exp- you know, like, their mouth wide, you know, opens wide. And you want the beak and everything. And the only thing you leave... Le- that you see later is, like, pile of bones from the rodent. And you know I've seen that, which is you know it's kind of creepy, but uh, I've seen the bones left behind by so cats. Like, is was he really looking for the body or like remnants? Who knows? Ooh. I mean, maybe that was just his way what, of like memorizing. Was he looking for the uniform? Like, what was he looking for? Well, remember he also continues that kind of circular motion until he finds the Avenger, mm-hmm. which is surprising because it sounds like he knows where it is, but not exactly where. It is. I'm trying to remember all the details about it, but. <laughs> but the fact that he happened to find this ship right before you know he he does his uh his manly revenge thing is very striking mm-hmm. and the fact that he doesn't want to spoil the avengers graveyard with this other ship mm. where he's like no 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 i'm gonna lead them away a little bit yeah a little bit lead them away a lot of it yeah it's like you ain't dying nowhere near the, the avenger so i think this is a good place to wrap up this episode. Do you guys well, how, have any... how, Let's start a new... Tri- how will we end the books? Like, what do we plan to do when we end Okay, books? so here's here's one. Okay. Who would you recommend this book to? Someone else who is interested in science things. Okay, okay. But usually that's him. <laughs> but, you know, he's here, and this is his podcast, as well as yours, and um, I don't have to recommend it to anyone. 
Well, I'm a little torn to... Because part of me wants to say people who like fish. <laughs> because all that classification and all that stuff, maybe they kind of want to hear it. But I think I would recommend it to anyone who wants to go into the idea of like, do I want to be like a marine biologist or something? Oh, yeah. Like, what do I yeah, want to yeah. know about the oceans? And, you know, this, this kind of gives you this wonderful picture of like, all the discoveries and all the things that are still left to be found under what is it 70 percent of our planet yeah. is yeah. covered in water if someone's like i want to be indiana jones but of the ocean right that that's kind of the person like you know if you if you have you know a young person in your in your life that thinks they really like fish tell them to read this book see how they turn out see see what they think mm-hmm. uh, also someone who likes the idea of adventure because this was, it was an adventure book yeah, yeah, adventure was, book. yeah. see that's that's what I would probably if someone's like I really love I really love to go on like a classic adventure I'd really love to read a book that makes me feel like I'm the one discovering new things uh, I'd probably recommend this to that person and just I'd, I'd warn them that there's you know it's it's written by the fictional main character is a scientist naturalist and so mm-hmm. you're gonna get a lot of sciencey talk but if you're into that then you'll enjoy it for example my boss she likes aquatic stuff so okay. I told her she should read this and incidentally she did start listening to the first part of it and she said she enjoyed it so I would I'd probably recommend it um, the next book that we're going to endeavor Drumroll. the next uh, adventure that we're going to go on is uh, I think has much less to do with the ocean kind of sexy I think See, I don't know much about this book either. I really don't know. I imagine it's sexy based on the movie I saw. I didn't even see the movie. Oh. I've seen, I have, the only reason why I even know what I know is because I read the bio today when I was looking up what year it was published. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but it is, uh, it was recommended to me by someone at work and mm-hmm. it is The Count of Monte Cristo. Ooh. Now. I le- I've recently had a Monte Cristo sandwich. It was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know those were a thing. Ham and cheese. I did not know they were a thing either. Um, yes. And 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 challah bread. It was very good. I believe you. So soft, so savory. You realize when you're whispering, it's not the same as whispering to me. You're, no. Because the person listening to it feels like you're whispering to them, and it's a little. That's creepy. what I want. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like editing the last episode, and I'm like, uh, when you're like whispering about uh-huh. about not calling this dude a bland a bland faced human uh-huh. being, I'm just like, it's a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're gonna read the Count of Monte Cristo, which is about double the size. Is it? Uh, this book, in terms of how long it was to listen to, was 15 hours? Sounds Six, about right. 60, yeah, 16, because mm-hmm. we did 8 and 8. The book we're going to start now is 50 and change. That's a lot. Two That's a lot. So, so uh, I'll I, definitely take notes. My goal is to get through half okay. before this. But so that 20, means do the first 25 hours. 25 hours. In a, in a little over two weeks. <laughs> just just for the record, when uh, we let my brother know that we're going to do the, the count next, he he wished us luck. Okay. <laughs> and he said we're doing lots of readers a... Uh, a service. A service. Because many people can't get through books that long. Yeah. Well, it's audible. It's like I'm cheating. But even, <laughs> right. but even just listening to it is still like... I mean, you're listening to 50 hours of a book. That's a lot. That's right. Well, <laughs> I, I'm excited for it because I have not seen the movie. 
I have <laughs> never read the book. Yeah, exactly. So I have no idea what I'm getting into. Okay, you know I have seen about? the movie. I have not read the book. Nope. So. No. No. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. We're out of here. Um, thank you so much to everyone who tuned in and listened. Uh, please send us your feedback. Let us know what you thought. Uh, suggestions at oldbookspodcast.com is the email where you can reach us. We have an Instagram account, uh, old underscore books underscore podcast. You can follow us there. The Instagram has links to all of the different places where you can find this podcast uh, being shared. We really, really, really appreciate the time that you spend listening to us talk about uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I enjoyed reading it. It was really good. I'm looking forward to Count of Monte Cristo. Um, do you guys have any final words before I turn off the audio? Uh, thank you for having me as your first guest. Of I, I enjoyed it immensely. Mucho gusto. Okay, yeah. so Dennis will be returning for the next one. Maybe oh. we'll, I'm going to try to get one more person, hopefully. Maybe we'll see. Yes. Fun. Do you have any final words? Thank you for listening. And Toby thanks you for listening for to his, uh, his background snoring. snoring. Yes. And the ambulance thanks you. <laughs> and, and the police thank you. Yes. Uh, the Bronx thanks you. Yes. The Bronx. Um, but and no, genuinely, uh, we're going to sign off now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for Thank you. Hard. <laughs>